0: hello and welcome to open world chat i'm john odom and i'm joined by my co-host leanne allen today we are talking to burlington filmmaker bill simmon bill thanks for being here
1: uh sure thank you for inviting me
2: today we're going to be discussing the 10 most underappreciated sci-fi films, according to John Odom and Bill Simmon. Um, so why don't you take it away, Bill? What is your number 10?
1: Okay, well, I gave this a bit of thought when uh, John um, proposed the idea. And uh, just to preface this, I do have 10 films that are my sort of top 10 underappreciated sci-fi films. Uh, I asked John how broadly we're... Um, Defining sci fi in this context. And his answer was pretty broad. Like, we could include fantasy films and things like that. Some of these films are on the edge of sci fi, probably. So, I'll, um, apologies uh, if they go outside your feeling of for what counts as a sci fi movie. And then, in addition to the 10, I've also got like a smattering of other ones that didn't make the list. So, um, if we have time, maybe we can dig into those. But my number 10. Uh, underappreciated sci-fi film is Edge of Tomorrow from 2013, directed by Doug Liman. Edge of Tomorrow is a Tom Cruise joint, and it was written. One of the screenwriters is Christopher McQuarrie, who's the fellow who's been writing the Mission Impossible movies with and directing them recently with uh, Tom Cruise. And um, Edge of Tomorrow is based on a Japanese light novel, which is basically their version of like a young adult novel. It uh, is a time travel looping sort of uh, sort of film. If you haven't seen it, and it's very tight uh, and very cool. And it, when it was released, it had a pretty underwhelming uh, response at the box office, and they weren't quite sure how to market it. And it went through a few different marketing campaigns that were very different, and it never really found its footing, which is too bad because I thought it was just a, a a really good time.
2: A question for me: What what about the film makes you uh makes it memorable for you
1: uh i i it's well it's really fun first of all like it's a good time but it's but as a an appreciator of sort of tight storytelling like it's a very well crafted and complete story with a a beginning a middle and an end and it all sort of makes sense and is exciting and the stakes are great and the and the characters are a lot of fun it's also got i think possibly my favorite performance by bill paxton in his entire career as an actor uh is a really wonderful turn by him so um yeah no i just think it's a i just think it's a really good time it doesn't i would you know edge of tomorrow unlike some of the other films on my list which i will make a claim say something interesting or important about the human condition that's not edge of tomorrow that's not its job it's not trying to do that it's just trying to entertain but uh it does a, a a pretty darn good job of it in a pretty sort of tightly tightly woven cohesive narrative
0: nice well for my number 10 and this will probably cause anyone who's who's listening to completely roll their eyes and 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 shut down is 1999's Wing Commander which was uh, a a little scene uh movie it starred Freddie Prinze Jr but uh Wing Commander is objectively not a good movie it was uh directed by a fellow named chris roberts whose uh limited resume included movies like barbed wire so wing commander was was in a lot of ways very very hackneyed but i'm watching it and i just stumbled on it one day and you know i'm like i've seen all this before this all feels kind of kind of retready but I felt like I was reading kind of a hackneyed, retready novel rather than a movie. It made me think of a lot of sort of you know mediocre but kind of fun novels, science fiction novels from the sixties and early seventies. That was just sort of a fun groove to get into, and uh, it sort of carried me through the movie, and uh, I had a blast. So that's my. So it sounds. Oops,
2: sorry. Sounds yeah. like a summer reading trash novel as a movie.
1: I have to admit, I've never seen Wing Commander. Uh, I'm vaguely aware uh, that it exists, I suppose. Uh, it rang a slight bell for me. I have seen Barb Wire and have lots to say about that film. Uh, but uh, I don't know Wing Commander.
0: <laughs> well, now I'm sure you and everybody listening will will be dashing out to check it out. So.
2: We're at least running to Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, I believe it has a 10%. Nice.
2: <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, so why don't we move on to number two, Bill, or I should say number nine, Bill. Number nine. Number nine, be.
1: Uh, my number nine is Gattaca, nineteen ninety seven, wow. directed by Andrew Nichol. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, Ethan Hawke stars as a uh, uh, a young genetically imperfect sort of natural born, uh, human in a world where, um, your genes are sort of programmed from before your birth and your career is predetermined based on what your genetic aptitudes are going to be. And young Ethan Hawke, uh, his aptitude tests say that he should be a janitor, uh, but he really wants to go into space. And so he wants to fly with the elitest of the elites, um, and so he assumes uh, the identity of uh, Jude Law's character, who is an elite uh, sort of astronaut uh, fellow, but who has been paralyzed in a car accident and can't do it. And so the two of them conspire to uh, get Ethan Hawke to go into space. Um, Uma Thurman is also in the film. And uh, it's, a again, very tight narrative. Uh, this one actually does sort of function as art insofar as it can uh, say something kind of interesting about Uh, It does what science fiction does at its best, which is sort of through speculation about um, the future or an alternate reality, make us think about the way we think about these, but how human, the value of humans and, and, uh, and culture. And so, um, yeah, Gattaca, I really, really recommend it.
2: What's your number nine, John?
0: Well, you see, I don't really have a number nine because I had a number nine, but it's so grossly sexist. That I had to take it off my list, but I'm going to mention it anyway for all the reasons I like it. So it's sort of like it's at number nine, but it's, that's, it's more like an announcement of why it didn't get number nine. So officially I have a hole in number nine. Unofficially, I put in the 1990, oh, not 1997, sorry, 1977 animated film from Ralph Bakshi Wizards. Wizards was a, a a very, very interesting movie. And and Ralph Bakshi, of course, he did um Fritz the Cat, which probably the you know, which has a cult following, but the less said about that probably the better. And
2: uh N S F W.
0: Yeah, well that's true too. Wizards is an odd little but unique movie, and I found it very entertaining, and it really made an impression on me when I was younger. It has the trappings of fantasy, but the story is just as much science fiction as fantasy. It takes place in a future, and magic has sort of reemerged, but it's a, you know, a post-apocalyptic dystopian future. Um, and the struggle in the movie is between sort of technology and magic, and far be it from me to, to you know, be some sort of neo-Luddite, because you know how those movies are, always go, right? Technology, bad, magic, good. It ain't exactly that simple in this movie, and the movie does some really creative things, um, you know, with the uh, budget limitations that were placed on uh, Bakshi. He um, depended a lot on, on uh, Rotoscope, just good old-fashioned, you know, y- you see a lot of essentially... Um, uh, uh, silhouettes of, of actors and horses and, and, and armies coming along, which gives it a really interesting effect that, that, that he used, you know, later on. He, you know, he, he folds in Nazi propaganda movies as a relic of the past. I shouldn't give too much away, but a, a relic of the past used to motivate the, the evil forces in the movies. And it's just, it's, it's kind of brilliant, but. This movie is so horribly sexist. We have almost no female characters in it. Primary one we have is, oh my God, imagine a non-ironic Jessica Rabbit as an elf giggling in, in, you know, lingerie all the time and the creepy sort of relationship between her and and the the main protagonist character. Ugh, we just, we can't talk about it. So this would have been number nine. And I said why it would be number nine, but instead I throw it out and throw it out the back door where, where no one will ever see it.
2: It's a staple at cons. When you go to the big anime conferences, et cetera, um, it's one of the things that will show up in almost every con that you go to. It might be shown at midnight, <laughs> but it's there. Um,
1: I barely remember (laughs) it. I'm much more familiar with Bakshi's other, uh, well, some of Bakshi's other films, uh, his Lord of the Rings in particular, but also he made a film called American Pop that I remember seeing when I was a kid and um, Fritz the Cat, obviously, and uh, some others. He's, uh, he's, yeah, he's a hard one to, it's interesting because what he was doing in animation was really interesting. He was sort of taking, he was like doing indie rotoscoping. It was like a really like low budget sort of version of some of the cooler stuff that Disney was doing. Um, and he was making these sort of animated films for adults, you know, uh, ostensibly um, which was fairly new at the time as well. So yeah, he's a, he was an innovator, but I'm, I can't say I'm the hugest fan of any of his, of any of his films. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> no, like,
1: a nice
2: be. segue to what's your number eight. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. My number eight is 1985's the quiet earth directed oh. by Jeff Murphy this is a film that not a lot of people have seen. I don't think it's a New Zealand film. That's a, um, uh, last man on earth sort of thing where it opens with a fellow waking up and realizing that everyone just sort of poof disappeared a few minutes ago from his perspective. And, uh, it, it follows the next several years of his life in, uh, in a world without, without people or, or so it seems at first without people. And, uh, the reason why everybody disappeared is a is sort of a sci fi reason, and um, it gets pretty weird and kind of trippy and out there toward the end. But um, uh, I just I uh, adore this movie, so again, strong rec- recommendation.
0: That's so interesting. I mean, I knew we were going to share some on our list, and and I'll I'll talk a little bit more about my opinion of this one when, uh, when we get there on my list. But it's on my list. And one thing I what will What number is it on your list? Oh, I ain't telling. My God, that'll, jeez, <laughs> that'll completely take things away. Um, right. I, You know, I can't divert from the discussion here. But I will say right now that um, that uh, The Quiet Earth uh, starred really the amazing Bruno Lawrence, who mm. was a, a big deal in New Zealand cinema. And it was just an extraordinary talent who was uh, taken away from us way too early. I think he died in his early 50s, if that, of uh, of some form of cancer. But he was extraordinary. And he, uh, I mean, the whole cast of this movie is terrific, but so much of it rested on his shoulders, and he just did a terrific job.
2: All right, John, so what's your number eight, now that you've got us <laughs> wondering?
0: My number eight is from 2009. It's another one of these big-budget Hollywood movies, but one that everybody hated and didn't do very well. And that is uh, Pandorum. Which uh, starred Dennis Quaid, and uh, there was a lot going on in this movie. Um, enough that if I started trying to explain too much of it, I'd probably get confused, and you know, I don't know what would come out. Um, it it was accused by a lot of the critics of being too derivative, which. I don't think was entirely fair. I think a lot of the reasons honestly why it it got so much grief from critics is because its producer was Paul W.S. Anderson um who's you know Mr. Resident Evil among a lot of other movies than that. It's it's not it's not that cool to give a lot of thumbs up to a Paul W.S. Anderson movie because it it had a lot of creativity, it was inter- interesting. I've never seen it. Well Me either. Get out there, both of you. I'll have to check it out. Jeez. What are you you waiting for?
2: All right. So, Bill, we're back to you. What would be your number seven?
1: Or eight? Yes, no, seven. Yeah. Um, Seven. Thank you. So uh, my number seven, uh, I feel, uh, um, is on my list because it didn't make the splash I think it should have. It actually was fairly well received and is a respected film film. but uh, it's from 2014. It's called Ex Machina, directed by, written and directed by Alex Garland, and uh, this is a movie that I think, um, uh, aside from it looking and feeling beautiful, and it has some amazing uh, cast performances in it, it also manages to make a point about um, artificial sort of like sci-fi version of artificial intelligence that, uh, I hadn't really seen, uh, get made in other, in other, uh, genre, screen genre stuff. Um, and if you can manage to say something about artificial people that Star Trek, the next generation didn't manage to say in its run, then, um, you're, you're doing something right. Uh, and uh, so I just really, uh, I really like this film. I like the tone of it. I like the production design. I like all the casting and the acting and, uh, and the writing is super tight and also uh, says something interesting about the human condition. So I feel like, I feel like people should be ri- writing uh, master's theses about the film, but <laughs> maybe, maybe that's just me.
2: Actually, It's very interesting. You say that because it's that movie that, um, made my son decide that he wanted to be an AI researcher. Um, nice. <laughs> yes, he, he was already sort of on that track, but you know, watching that movie and you know, grasping the concepts. he was a teenager at the time, um, he just it, it flipped a switch for him that made him super interested in AI and uh, more importantly, ethical AI. Yeah. So it's not just doing AI for AI's sake, but understanding what the implications are of the AI that you're involved with.
1: I'm curious if your son has um, experienced anything of, of a rude awakening in terms of realizing that the the actual state of uh, field research in what's called artificial intelligence in in actual in the real world has almost nothing to do with machines that think like people, right? Like it's all like machines figuring out how to tell if a picture is of a banana or not. Right. Like it's not, yeah. it has nothing to do with. Yeah. Building, building right. uh, si- simulations of humans. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He, he figured that out pretty early on. Uh, yeah. He actually has uh, managed to figure out that something that was published uh, regarding self-driving cars by Uber was wrong um, or not exactly wrong, but they had a perception that was incorrect about something they were doing. And he has taken that a little further and should have another paper coming out shortly that is probably going to upset some people.
1: Ooh. Is <laughs> he in school still it, or is he? Is He uh, He just graduated. so oh.
0: Excellent. Yeah, no, that's a terrific movie. I agree completely. Got a lot of critical love, but uh, not a lot of eyes on the screen. It's a shame. Yeah.
2: All right, so what do you think, John? What would what would be number 7
0: for you? Uh well, I picked for number 7 uh not exactly an obscure movie that actually did moderately well, but I think it did lose money and the critics couldn't stand it, and that is 2005's Constantine starring Keanu Ooh. Reeves and I had Keanu Reeves, Rachel Weisz, who I just adore, Tilda Swinton. I mean, how bad can this movie be, right? I mean, it's it's uh, terrific cast we won't talk about shia labeouf who's in it too um and this is of course based on the hellblazer comics and a lot of the fans of the comics were annoyed i mean right off the bat they weren't going to give it a chance and they were going to be the core audience because it was Canna reeves it wasn't you know a blonde englishman all right uh but you know this is this is a character originally imagined by uh by uh comic writer alan moore and uh, who always swears off any adaptations of any of his work. But, you know, this wasn't the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. This was inspired by a couple uh, storylines in the comics. And, you know, you just gotta get over the fact that it was Keanu Reeves. And I, I think this is a good time to, to say that because, you know, Keanu Reeves started off, he was like, you know, Bill and Ted or Bill or Ted or, you know, one of them. Um, and he was fun. And then he went, you know, serious with speed and it became cool to talk about just sort of how bad he was, you know, Oh God, Keanu Reeves. Well, now, and this was in the middle of that. Okay. When that came out, it's like, Oh God, Keanu Reeves. Now we've all realized what some of us, ahem, already knew, that Keanu Reeves has always been cool. Keanu Reeves is John Wick. Keanu Reeves is the only good thing about last year's disastrous rollout of the cyberpunk game. Keanu Reeves is cool, and he's cool in this movie, even if he's not the John Constantine people expect.
1: Oh, I, I have a few things to say about about this topic. So first of all, the only reason that Constantine is not on my list is because I didn't think of it until you just said it out loud. Had I thought of it, it would be on my list as well. Uh, And also I spent full disclosure. I spent the nineties as a manager of a comic book store and we would stunt cast comics movies all the time. We were stunt casting Watchmen a decade before (laughs) it was actually a movie and when the news broke that keanu had been cast as constantine i was one of the many who thought that was a dreadful idea now i love and have always loved keanu i think he is both a very decent real life human being and also very good in certain roles like he's he he has an extremely limited range as an actor but when he's cast in a role that allows him to take advantage of something that's within that range, he's fantastic. And John Wick is a great example of that. Um, but there are other movies, movies that I like, that he is in that he should not be in. Um, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula is a is a oh. prime example of that. Um and, uh, uh, so yes, I think your, your analysis of Keanu is right. I think John, but, and also that your analysis of this film. And I think what happened was, and this is a little bit of fan speculation of my part, but I think what happened was a Constantine movie got greenlit once they were able to attach a name actor to it. And in this case, it was Keanu. And from that point, from the, from the sort of original sin of casting Keanu as John Constantine, like John Constantine, just so you know, is an English Former punk rocker, aging former punk rocker, who initially, when Alan Moore created him, was supposed to be based in part on Sting. He was supposed to look and sound like Sting as a as a person at the time in the eight, late eighties when he was created. And uh, that's not Keanu, obviously. And so I think Thanks that anti Keanu <laughs> saddled with a yeah, blonde, like you know, like a Cockney, like you know. So saddled with this casting that they couldn't undo. The producers then proceeded to make all the right decisions, which is, we just won't make him English. We'll set the film in LA. Constantine is an American. And then the, um, the casting of everyone else in the film is fantastic. Peter Stormare as Lucifer is wonderful. Tilda Swinton as the angel Gabriel fantastic casting even shia labeouf is good in this movie and i don't say that about shia labeouf very <laughs> often. constantine is a legit good movie and um and it kiana was the wrong casting choice but that's the only problem with this film i think
0: oh i think he so, elevates it
1: come on <laughs> i would rather have seen a good english john constantine and they haven't done that yet. Like TV hasn't managed to pull that off yet either. Like, no, no, Keanu is still the best screen Constantine because they haven't done it right yet, but um, I'd still like to see that done at some point.
2: The irony in all this is that Sting actually is an actor and he's a very good actor.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He <laughs> so would have been great. Oh. He would. He's, he's aged out of Constantine. Unfortunately, there was a period of time when they could have done it. But yeah.
0: Yeah. When we get to our over act over, over, uh, Overhyped actor part uh, episode. <laughs> I, I think uh, we'll have a little more. I'll have a little more to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Bill. Let's.
2: Oop, sorry.
1: No, it's all right. Uh, are we on number six now? Yeah. I, I think John's gonna have a lot to say about this one too. Number six comes from the year nineteen eighty four, and it is the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across <laughs> the Eighth Dimension.
0: Oh my God! How did I forget this one? <laughs>
1: uh, Good Lord. Uh, written by Earl MacRouch, Rouch, directed by W.D. Richter. Uh, it is the story of a um, a rock star neurosurgeon, test pilot, uh, just sort of a k- k- kung fu master, like all around um, superhero comic
0: book hero. Dude. He has a comic book,
1: he is the star of a comic book. He and his crew of Hong Kong Cavaliers fight evildoers um, everywhere and uh. The film, uh, if you haven't seen it, is uh, just sort of drops you into this world without really explaining anything about what's going on, which is one of the charms of the sort of narrative structure of it. You're just sort of thrown into this crazy world. And uh, the plot of it, do- it doesn't really matter, but there are bad guys and uh, some confusing physics. Uh, and it's just really good fun and has one of the best casts of uh, any movie in the '80s, it might be my favorite movie of the '80s. Not just my favorite sci-fi movie of the '80s, but it might just be my favorite movie of the '80s. Wow. Um, there is a, a caveat, which is that uh, I, I do feel like you have to have seen this originally when you were a certain age. That if you are over thirty when you see this movie, it, it may not hold the same for the first when you see it for the first time. It may not hold the same uh, appeal. But uh, otherwise, love, 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 love.
0: Well, wherever you go, there you are. There you are. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) And I don't know if you
1: remember the watermelon scene where they're walking through a lab.
0: (laughs) I just learned something
1: about that scene, actually, as I was making this list. I read some Wikipedia stuff about Buckaroo Banzai. And so there was a producer on the film whose name I forget now, but who they considered to be their sort of enemy. Somebody at the studio who was always giving them notes and being like, don't do that. It's terrible. No, this is a bad idea. And made them reshoot stuff and everything. And at a certain point, they stopped getting notes and they're like, is he even paying attention to us anymore? And so they included the watermelon line, knowing that if he saw it, he would make them cut it out and they didn't hear anything about it. And so they're like, oh, he's just stopped paying attention to us so we can do whatever we want now. And so that's why that line is in the film. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) One of my favorite moments. (laughs) What's that? I'll tell you later. (laughs) I'll tell you later. Still waiting for that explanation. Uh, Supposedly, uh, so Earl McRatchett, I guess, has written a sequel novel that's due out in August. Really? Yeah. Nice. Oh, that sounds like Very
2: nice. All right, right, John, you're number six.
0: All right, the next one on my list um, is uh, a movie that uh, is getting a lot of critical love, got a lot of critical love, uh, still probably not as much as it deserved, but it's called Spring. And it comes from writer-director's Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead who's or also the team behind the movie The Endless which also almost made my list. This is a terrific movie. The way to describe it and I'm not the only one who describes it this way. You're going to think what? But uh you know, speaking of Ethan Hawke, the uh Ethan Hawke and uh Julie Delpy movie uh Before Sunrise. This is Before Sunrise with the Julie Delpy character being some sort of Lovecraftian creature. And I, I mean, it's true, but that sounds make like it's gimmicky or stupid. And it's not. I mean, most of the movie are, are, are these two people um, who are falling for each other. It's just that she's got some background issues, but it's extraordinarily moving. And it's beautiful, romantic movie. And it'll bring a tear to your eye, and um, I just can't recommend it enough.
1: I'm sorry, what was it called?
0: Spring. It's from 2014.
1: Spring. I've never even heard of it. No, me either.
0: Well, go look for it.
1: Very unappreciated.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Very few people saw it. I I mean, I don't even know that it had a theatrical release.
1: All right. Well, my number five is The Lobster from 2015 by Yorgos Lanthimos. Uh, this is a, he's a Greek uh, filmmaker who went on and made the favorite was the, the film he made after, after the lobster.
0: Right. I know the um,
1: uh So the lobster, uh, have you, have either of you seen this film? No. Oh, okay. So this is no, like, I've never heard of it. <laughs>
0: I'm aware of it, but I, I've never
1: seen it. This might be my favorite movie of the last 10. You know, I don't know when Scott Pilgrim came out. My favorite movie since Scott <laughs> Pilgrim. And uh, <laughs> It's uh, so Colin Farrell uh, it stars as a man who um, it checks himself into this sort of sanitarium, and the the rules are that you have you have two weeks at the sanitarium to find your soulmate who you will then marry and live the rest of your life with, and if you fail to do that in two weeks, you will be turned into an animal of your choice. His choice is a lobster, which is why it's called the Lobster and uh and then it follows sort of his story as he as he sort of meets people there and discovers this sort of like secret underground of um rebels uh it's a dystopian alternate reality i guess i would call it um science fiction is probably not the right term but we're defining it loosely here um uh it's a very uh sort of absurd in its sentiment and it hilariously funny uh, and also, again, um, reaches that sort of artistic level of being able to say something interesting about being human. And um, so it, it, I think it's also an important film as well as being super enjoyable. Strong recommendation for The Lobster 2015.
0: Hmm. This has been on my list for a while, but I haven't gotten around to seeing it. So I'll have to I'll have to check it out maybe this evening.
1: It was on Netflix for a while, but I don't know if it still is. I'm sure you can find it somewhere.
0: Well, we just love talking to our friend Bill so much that the conversation went on a bit longer than expected, so we're going to divide it into two episodes. Tune into our next one to hear the rest of our list of underappreciated science fiction movies, this time with a special look at underappreciated movies directed by women. We'll see you then. Our theme music is by Chris Piatic, and that's it for today.